Welcome to Data Myths Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Melinda Gagnon. So, a little about us. I'm interested in how tech helps us improve our lives. I have 20 years experience in digital communications. I'm an ex-Googler and now help launch new companies and products. And I've spent 20 plus years evangelizing tech at some of the world's largest companies. Whether you're a datafile or a dataphobe, we have something for you on this podcast. So get ready. Let's go. Hey, Brian. How's it going? Oh, you know, it's going great. I've had a lot of time to read and catch up. And I, I think I've navigated to the end of the Internet this week. Oh, nice. Nice. I didn't even know that was possible. So congrats. I didn't either. So, <laughs> yeah. And and you've had plenty of coffee to do it. I, I see that huge, that tall mug sitting next to you right now. So this is uh, you're charged up and ready to ready to talk about everything. I think point. the last couple of weeks I've probably drank more coffee than all of the rest of my life. And since I started only drinking coffee when I was 40, um, my reference point is pretty, uh, pretty narrow, but I'm ready to go. I'm jazzed. So <laughs> nice. what, what do you want to talk about today? <laughs> so, so one of the things that I, that I really like thinking about, well, first of all, I mean, you know how much I love history and how much I like to stop and read every little plaque on every building when we're walking down the street. It's an, it's an annoyingly wonderful thing. Yes, I agree. So, so, and, and of course we love building companies. We love ideas. We love innovation. We love tech. So I love learning about interesting historical figures who have done things like, you know, created new inventions. So we're going to talk about, about new things. Are we going to talk about Ben Franklin? Ben Franklin is one of my favorite historical figures. But actually, today, I would love to chat about Nikola Tesla. Really? Yeah. I huh. think he, I mean, I think it's pretty common now that like people are aware of him, of course. Tesla, the, the namesake, of course, lives on with, um, with Elon Musk's company. Um, so we, I think that kind of... Um, cachet is is very real and people kind of understand how how cool he was and interesting but yeah I think there's a lot that we kind of don't realize that he did and what he was onto so many years before his time I'm I'm absolutely fascinated with him he is he's probably my invention hero um Elon Musk I I like him too I mean he's a crazy dude uh and Probably has a lot of similarities to Nikolai Tesla, right? So later life Nikolai Tesla. So uh, and is it yeah. Nikolai or Nikola? Nah, Nikolai, Nikola. <laughs> tomato, <laughs> tomato. I don't know. I think it's Nikola. Okay, that's cool. Tesla. Well, let's For get all into intents it. and purposes, we'll we'll say Tesla, but talking about the person, not the not the modern day company. Yeah. So yeah, let's get into it. I mean, what do you want to? What well, do you want to talk about? So I think there are a few different things here that I mean that I find super fascinating. I mean. One is just, uh, I think, the amount of inventions that he created and different technologies that he was working on, many of which he didn't find a commercial application, but he was still working on it and solving some really interesting challenges. That's super fascinating. And then from like a business perspective, it's fascinating what he went through to fund his work, uh, how often he didn't find a commercial application to these amazing things that he was doing and just like 
what were those barriers and why did things go wrong and why did he, you know, die penniless in New York City and talking to pigeons? You know what I mean? It's just kind of like this really fascinating story of a truly brilliant person. Yeah. Well, and and if you think about it, it's really interesting because when you look at his different inventions, you're right. Not all of them, you know, I guess if you were to look at it and say, what did this guy do and what was commercialized and successful? Well, you know, sure, he had some misses, but he also had some pretty big wins. Yes. You know, I, I think AC Power being one of the main ones, right? And that pretty much has powered the last 100, 120 years. So so what are what are the main things that he either, I don't want to say fully invented himself, but had a significant role in discovering, inventing, advancing, just to kind of like run down through the highlights. So I'm going to rattle off kind yeah. of a list. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I think at the, at the top of it, you've got AC power. So you had Thomas Edison on one side, you had Westinghouse on the other side, you know, big super well-backed inventors of their time. Uh, And then you had Tesla, who, you know, really started figuring out how to make this practical, right? And so when Edison was was working on direct current, um, basically what ended up happening was as they started to build out New York City, they realized they were going to have to put a power station really close to to everywhere and they're going to have to build tons and tons of power stations because they couldn't actually transmit the power very far. And so Nikolai Tesla started really looking at this and figured out that, Hey, look, by building a generator that actually like takes a magnet and reverses the polarity of the magnet so that the electricity is actually going back and forth, back and forth on some frequency that you could actually transmit the power at, First of all, a much higher voltage, but also over much longer distances. So, you know, in insert AC power, right? The stuff so that, that we, was, yeah, yes. that was one of the, the the big big ones. Yeah, the stuff that is coming out and of you, our wall today in in America and and really everywhere. It's just usually different voltage, different frequency, other places in the world, and funny little plugs. And and so like just super high level. Mm-hmm. So we have a AC power. Yeah. We have wireless power. Yeah, wireless power is not even quite here yet, but it's coming, (laughs) right? And I mean, basic form of wireless power is the inductive charging stations that you drop your phone on at night, you know? So that's one. Uh, We've got the induction motor, you know, which is a DC uh, or AC motor, I should say. Um, Huge, huge benefit there. Um, We've got... The radio. So while Marconi, you know, was uh, was real close and and they went back and forth on patents and stuff, uh, Nikolai Tesla was really early and essentially invented the radio. Um, X-ray. He made the radiograph like way way early. Some of that technology and the the quality of what he was getting versus what the actual inventor of x-rays was able to do impressed even that guy and even today some of the cat scans from 10 15 years ago 
were barely as you know high quality as what Tesla was doing in the early 1900s. So that's another thing. Um, boy, he he invented neon signs. He essentially in, invented um, arc lighting. So if you think of uh, you know a much much later version of that xenon headlights right the really bright blue ones that everybody sometimes complains about unless if you're driving and you can see everything uh he essentially invented a lot of the technology behind that and if you think about it those have just barely started showing up in cars in the last 10 years so if we look at the gamut he's done some really cool things yeah yeah to 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 think about one person contributing so significantly in all of his areas is absolutely astounding and and you know to think about well how does someone have the ability to do this i mean i guess he apparently showed signs really early in his life of just um having a natural aptitude for math he could do complex math equations in his head and his teachers thought he was cheating you know and and i found it also very interesting that his mother uh, she invented, I guess, like household appliances. And she also had a way of learning like he did. Well, he, he had a way of learning like her, I suppose you'd say, that they had this photographic memory uh, and this just amazing ability to learn at a rapid pace. So, you know, I, I just, when someone has this gifted, it just, it fascinates me to think about like, wow, how did they how did they get this way? How did they do all of this? Because it's obviously just so surpassing what most people are capable of. Right. I would say my mom was an inventor too, but she focused more on methods and inventing methods. Like, you know, for instance, the patented method of, okay, kids go outside. There is wood to be stacked. (laughs) Um, Okay, kids, it is time to, you know, until you clean up your plate, you cannot play something. And I'm going to go downstairs and shut the power off so that you can't play video games. You know, basic methods like that, I think I'm convinced my mom invented. Um, love you, mom. But, uh, you know, kind of similar, but not. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, I mean, who who knows, um, you know, what your mother instilled in you that now, you know, you have to like. Fear. A lot of fear. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Healthy fear. <laughs> Good level of healthy guilt. You know, it's all, yeah. it's all a, a motivator. Yeah. Um, so, so when you kind of look, think back of the, the things that he accomplished, what, what would you say is the big win if you just had to pick one of those technologies? Well, the part that's fascinating to me is 120 years later, we still haven't figured out everything this guy had cooking around in his, in his noggin. And that's that in itself is my biggest fascination. I mean, I I've studied Nikolai for a long time, Nikolai Nikola, yeah. But uh, you know, I I think he's fascinating. I think the thing that I get excited about is really the wireless power, and not just through the air medium, right? That's kind of interesting. I mean, you can send RF, you know, today. Uh, you know, in high power, you could you could light up a light bulb remotely, not a problem. Um, you know, that's that's really interesting to me. But he was actually putting you know rods into the ground, big copper rods, and beaming this stuff and working on beaming this stuff through the earth, and essentially using like high frequency 
to beam power that way. And to me, that is fascinating. And he was he was testing both the conductivity of air and and our atmosphere. So he had theories around that and he was testing that as well as how could you transmit power through the earth, like literally from one side to the other. Yeah. Well, and so then if you think about that, right. That's actually, so when he moved his headquarters, well, not headquarters, it was, I think he was like a man in a cabin, not not too far off of Ted Kaczynski, but like <laughs> uh, when he moved his workshop up to Colorado Springs, he basically was moving out of New York City so that he had a little bit more, you know, room to roam. <laughs> room uh, to play. Room to play. Not to scare, to scare his neighbors. Yeah. Although, I mean, he did <laughs> knock out the power several times right. in Colorado Springs, but that's like a, that's a whole different problem. Um But he went up there because he realized or had a hypothesis that, hey, you know what? If I go to higher altitude, I think that electricity transmission changes through the air. So this is where I think most people have heard of the Tesla coil. All the Tesla coil is is basically an inductive, a couple inductive loops that essentially capture and charge uh, to capacitance, um, you know, capacitance being essentially kind of like a battery, but uh, capacitance most times uh, when you think of a capacitor can rapidly discharge. Um, batteries can kind of rapidly discharge, but there's also some limits there of how fast. So from the sense of um, capacitance and, and you know, being a capacitor and, and capturing that uh, energy and then rapidly discharging it you know he built some of these things that you know he built the the world's largest tesla coil well that's uh really interesting he was using that to send lightning bolts and at at the time they were the largest lightning bolts that man had ever made and he was doing that because he was testing theories around transmission through air gap right and how different humidity and different altitude and all of that, um, and essentially vacuum uh, of a sense, um, changed how electricity was transferred through the air. So if you think about that and like why that was important, now we get to the light bulb, right? You had Edison building the incandescent light bulb, the incandescent light bulb, you know, it, it took him over a thousand tries to get it right. But that is basically you know, at the inside of the light bulb, there is a piece of nichrome wire, which, you know, gets really, really hot. So it is transferring and it has like high resistance. It is transferring um, that heat energy and, and electricity and resistance. It's transferring that into light. So if you took voltage or current and actually put it across that, that little filament um, in the air, it's going to burn out probably, you know, by the time it starts to get pretty toasty hot. So what Edison was working on is, hey, what gas potentially do we put inside there? How big is everything sized so that it's you know perfectly sized right? And so a lot of those things that Nikola was doing was actually like, hey, how does this stuff operate in a vacuum? Or how does it operate in a near vacuum, which is, as you get up in the atmosphere, there's a lot less oxygen, air in general, it's thinner, uh, the whole nine yards. So so some of that really helped with fluorescence and fluorescent lights. He actually invented some of the fluorescent coatings 
that are used in fluorescent lights to take black light and turn it into uh, a visible color. A whole number of things, right? It's just, it's amazing, like, what this guy came up with. So it's uh, it's really, really interesting. So that's what you're most excited about when you look back through all the things that he worked on. I'm pretty excited about all of it, honestly. <laughs> I mean, the guy made a the guy made the first drone. I mean, the guy made a robot, essentially. So how do you how are you defining a robot oh, that's in great. this case? And that is a great question. And so I would hope that everybody it, would be like, "That's this isn't a robot." A like nineteen late nineteenth century robot. Yeah, but one could argue that the Chinese water, you know, the water clock, um, mm-hmm. was technically robotic. Because if you think of the terms of a robot, it is something that without human intervention is able to carry on some type of complex task or task. So in the water clock or even in some of the um, uh, even Bavarian cuckoo clocks, right? Some of those were so advanced that if you change some pegs in kind of like a mechanism based on those pegs, it would do something different. And so it might play one song. Um, if you know the peg was in one position, it might play another song if it was in a different one. So in terms of you know what is robotic or what is artificial intelligence, that was a little bit of automation, mm-hmm. right? And that's you know a robot is technically something that can be autonomous or semi-autonomous and do a task or do something. So he actually built a boat, and this is this is fascinating. He went to the patent office. And and I don't think this stuff happens anymore. I don't know. But the patent office basically told him, the stuff you're coming up with, you got to like pump the brakes, bud. This stuff is way too far out in front yeah. of what is real and what is reality. So what did he do? He went and he built it and he brought it to the World's Fair and said, there you go. So he built a boat that you could fully wirelessly control uh, and have it do all the things that you could turn light a light on and off. You could do a number of things. Is that a robot or is it wireless power? Well, so it's a number of things. So it's wireless power. It's using servo motors or motors to be able to do something. Um, it's a number of things, um, you know, and so that's the that's the coolest part about this is this guy like not only invented one thing, usually that's pretty good. You know, if you're an inventor, you come up with one thing and some ancillary things around it. This guy just kept coming up with really cool stuff. Well, and to your so. point that the patent office uh, basically said, uh, yeah, no, thanks. We think you're way too, too far out. I mean, the people who saw his demonstration also were in disbelief that this was actually possible. So when people saw the boat demonstration, they they said, oh, this must be magic. There's or there's got to be a monkey inside that's actually powering the boat. I mean, this is just so far ahead of his time that people weren't ready to accept that this was possible. Well, in in the most fascinating part to me is this is an individual and I and I I look at rural America today, right? There are probably wonderfully smart people that have not been discovered that are inventing stuff in their barn. It might not be it's not Silicon Valley um, sophistication, right? It doesn't have, you know, whoever, you know, battery ventures or, you know, Sequoia or whoever 
putting a hundred million dollars behind it and saying like, yeah, we believe in your dreams. Like they're actually doing it and they're doing it like maybe the ugly way, but they're doing it and they're super smart. I look at that as like, that's Nikolai Tesla, right? Well, yeah. I mean, he grew up in a pretty small town in what is now Croatia, uh, went to an engineering school and basically, well, dropped out. Uh, he did amazing, I guess, in his first year, but he, you know, worked so tirelessly, his professors thought that he was going to literally like kill himself, like not, not kill himself, but commit suicide, but just like wear himself out. He worked so hard. Yeah. Um, and you know, he had, who knows exactly what his challenges were. Some people think he might've been OCD or maybe had, um, some autistic tendencies, but he certainly had this kind of obsessive part of his personality because one of his early struggles in school, he got addicted to gambling and, and dropped out. It was like kind of when his first mental breakdown happened. But I, I mentioned this because his, his start in life wasn't exactly like, you know, easy. Uh, he struggled. And then, and then from there, I mean, he was out of school, he never graduated. And then he just started jumping into industry and where he worked just quickly realized this guy has something special. We don't need him just, you know, working on implementing, you know, our kind of electrical manufacturing needs. We need him designing things. Well, but here's the interesting part. And this is kind of where I was setting the table for that. And that I didn't know all that history per se, but the part that's interesting to me is that this was a guy and where I was going with it is that this is a guy that kept coming up with mind blowing stuff, but somebody else either was kind of right there next to him or with him. And they were the one that got all the credit in his lifetime. Right. You know, whether it be Westinghouse, uh, you know, you know, he didn't have the money, right. To do a lot of these things. So he ended up keep getting with partners, uh, in, in, I would love to hear your opinion on this. Right. But like, it's like he kept getting with partners that kept taking all the credit or somebody else in the world took the credit. And so if we go back to the robot thing, I dare anybody go to Wikipedia and look up robots and look up drones. You know, you will not see Tesla getting any credit for any of that anywhere along the way, you know, and he built a boat that took wireless transmissions, turned those into mechanical actions and did things. Yeah. Right. You know, you'll see Babbage, you'll see, you know, um, Turin, um, or Turing, excuse me. Uh, you will see the water clock. You'll see a number of other examples, but there is a huge gap around Tesla. And that is like the story of this guy's life. And now we're just getting to the point now where he's starting to get credit. And it's because Elon Musk decided to name a company after him. Right. So, yeah. It, in, in looking back over to your point, like, why is this? Why doesn't he get credit for certain things? Um, and when you think about someone with so much talent and brilliance, um, how did he struggle so much? I also just think about, you know, when someone's so gifted, um, you know, how can you create something that is at least sustainable for your life? You know, like how his later years are just, it's, it is kind of a, a sad, sad story. Um, but it brings me to what I was talking about earlier is like his journey as an inventor 
uh, is fascinating because of how he was able to get investment, his business partners, like you were saying. And he essentially had like six different ventures or distinct phases in his career. And, you know, it really started when he came to the U.S. So he was working for uh, Edison, not directly, but just he started in Paris and they saw how talented he was. And he was recommended to go to New York. Right. To work there. Well, and that's because and, they were having problems. They were literally exactly. having to put transformers every like hundred yards down the street. And when I say Edison, like Edison company, right? So, right. so when he came to New York to work on the AC power problem, he basically was there for six months and you know, decided to leave. Well, and, and let me just correct you a little bit. He wasn't working on the AC power problem. He was actually working on direct current DC, right? Because that's what Edison invented. Edison was all right. direct current, you know, unidirectional current uh, or phased current. So when you look at that and the problem that he had was just the cost of distributing and transmitting that power was going to be so much that outside of a city, it was just going to be not feasible. Yeah. Right. Yep, totally. So then, you know, there were a number of inventions around, you know, motors, both direct current and alternating current that Tesla started to build out. But the guy was brilliant. And so he took like a completely different approach, you know, built inductive motors, built inductive generation, you know, where uh, passing a magnet through a flux or a bunch of coils of wire and inducing electricity into them um, back and forth, back and forth, North Pole, South Pole uh, to really simplify it. That that stuff was really cool. And it's, yeah, and I mean, Edison sort of passed on it. Westinghouse sort of picked it up. They went to the World's Fair and essentially bid on who was going to put electricity and, and lighting at the World's Fair. And Westinghouse beat out Edison in price. Edison got really mad. And after that, that is actually when the electric chair got invented by Edison because he used it as a demonstration to basically say, look how dangerous Nikola Tesla is. Look at what he's built. This is Dangerous. This was part of what they called the War of Currents campaign between uh, AC and DC. And yeah, it was, uh, it, I mean, they talked about, yeah, not only, I mean, that's a pretty obviously extreme example and, and a real yeah. one, but they also talked about, you know, different like uh, issues with your health for different types of electricity. I mean, it was just, it was kind of like a, a real campaign of fear tactics. I mean, I'm just happy to know that ACDC is not just a band. It's also. Yeah. It's the war of currents. It's the war of currents. Yeah, it's, it's major. Cool. Um, so, so to talk a little bit about, you know, how he got started. So, so he leaves Edison Company and he's working on also patents around like arc lighting. And basically he goes to a patent attorney because he re he's now realizing, okay, I want to do this stuff for myself. Right. And, and we're starting to see, you know, Tesla is not somebody who wants to play with others. <laughs> he he thinks fast. He thinks like way ahead of everybody else and he's ready to, to, to go it alone, right? So he goes to the same patent attorney that actually worked with Thomas Edison. So he helps him starting start to 
create his patents, introduces him to his first two investors. And we have the, the Tesla electric light manufacturing company. So this is how he gets started. He has his first patent in the U.S. about DC power generation. And basically what, what happened was about a year later, uh, the investors just backed out. And his patents were owned by the company, uh, so he really didn't have control over his patents anymore. So this is kind of his first foray, and he, you know, got a, got a little burned. Well, yeah, and, and so to kind of like fast forward this, right, and like, I mean, I, I don't want to like totally be all history here. I mean, this is, this is good, right? But like when we boil that all down, this is a guy super smart, try to do the right things with patents. Yeah. But it seems like he just kept meeting up with the wrong co-founder or the wrong yes. investor co-founder corporate pirate. Well, he did t- until George Westing- Westinghouse came along. And this was the one person that and one relationship that actually consisted to, to be helpful throughout his life. So while it wasn't a business relationship that was always close in that they had a company together. The, the, um, basically the patent arrangement and royalties, they did pay off for him. He made a mistake with allowing Westinghouse to take away royalties when there, there was a huge recession in 1890 and Westinghouse basically said, look, we're going to go out of business if we keep up your royalty agreement. And Tesla said, okay, fine. And I mean, he would have been an, like one of the wealthiest people in the world had those royalties continued. Um, so, so that really was a fruitful relationship. It just didn't, it didn't sustain his work uh, in a way that was, um, you know, sustainable for him. Um, so, th- so basically like after this first kind of endeavor went sideways, that's when, um, when he entered into a licensing deal with Westinghouse and it really, it was about the IP. They weren't exactly oh. business partners. Um, Westinghouse uh, liked what he was doing with this induction motor that ran on AC power. Nice. Well, and here's the most interesting part about that. If you look at where we are today, and I know we talked a little bit about this with CES this year of like all these non-traditional companies that build things that have motors in them and, you know, uh, heavy equipment, you name it. Um, I'm a big skier, right? So I look at, you've got Tesla, the cars. So now that has really, they've made their millionth car at this point, um, fully powered by electricity, uh, induction motors, the whole nine yards, right? So that's fantastic. Um, They have really advanced battery technology. If you think about it, you get back to a locomotive engine, right? A locomotive engine that pulls a train has been hybrid for a very long time. So the diesel generator set is actually just that. It is a generator. It drives an electric generator that then in fact powers electro uh, electromotive force uh, to, you know, basically spin the wheels, so to speak. That's how a locomotive uh, does its thing. Well, now you've got companies like Piston Bully, right? They build snowcats, which, you know, do grooming for all of you that maybe 
don't know a thing about skiing, uh, they make the slopes real nice. They've actually, in recent years, built a hybrid snowcat where the diesel engine is just running a generator and actually all the business, meaning spinning the tracks, running the, the tiller in the back that makes the snow nice and smooth, all that stuff's electric. And so we are just now getting to the point where we're starting to fully take advantage of some of these technologies. And to me, that's just, that's so awesome. I mean, it, it took us so long to get there. The fact that wireless power, which isn't quite here yet, we're, we're just barely starting to see, you know, where you could charge a cell phone by setting it on a mat. Well, that's inductive power. That is literally running a flux of current into a, basically a receiver on your phone. That's really cool. The Japanese are looking to do what Tesla was looking to do in the 19, you know, 1900 or so. They're looking to do that from space, from a satellite down to, you know, wherever, somewhere on earth. And they're looking to do it by 2031 ish. So to think about that, you know, 130 years for someone to take your idea and actually commercialize it. That is what we call slow tech. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. A lot of this was seriously very, very slow tech. Um, and, and what, what's interesting with kind of Tesla's, um, as he kept investigating these different ideas. So early it was, you know, we talked about this, this, um, licensing agreement that really allowed him to make some serious money so he could then open his own lab and nurture some of these additional ideas. So this Westinghouse relationship that I mentioned, that really opened the door for him to start his own lab and work on his own things. So back, uh, you know, if we, if we converted what he was paid then in modern day, you know, modern day money, he would have gotten like $14 million dollars. Yeah, that's um, you know cash and stock, and then he had royalties on top of that. And Westinghouse hired him as a consultant. He was paid modern day equivalent sixty k a month to be a consultant. It's like Biden's a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had to. I had to. It was, it was right there at the tip of my tongue. It just came off. So, so this is when he's like, "This is fantastic. I'm gonna you know have my own lab, hire his own staff." Uh, and then, you know, he started working on these other ideas about wireless lighting um, with transmitting information wirelessly, right? right? So so this kind of opened the door that now he's financially stable to do that. Um, and, you know, about, about 12 years or so, the money started running out again. And then he was having to go back to investors and, and then, you know, had some more struggles with not finding the... He found he found funding, but what he didn't do was find a business partner at that point that could help him translate his inventions into something that's commercially viable. And that was really where it all fell apart at that point. And the interesting part about the or the irony of that, and we don't usually try to make this a kind of a, a sales pitch or whatever, but like that's like what we do at Uprise Partners. Absolutely. Essentially, we like take super great ideas and fan the flames on them and help that really smart person get their stuff to market. But 
Well, you, know, it, you can have, yeah, you can have a brilliant idea if you don't know how to get it into the right people's hands, if you don't know how to package it in a way that makes it readily useful. I'm not just saying useful, readily useful. Right. Something that's easy for people to adopt. They get it, right? Right. And sometimes an idea is so revolutionary, the market isn't ready for it. So how can you start to prime the market for it? Can you give them just a little bit of the vision? Right. You know, and, and that's where the business strategy piece comes in and that commercialization comes in, um, you know, and and this is what I find fascinating because that tech founder plus the business oriented founder, like you put those two people together and it's just magic. Well, and, and here's the interesting part about it. I, so I've been turned down a number of times. For no. Different. Oh, well, on many different no levels, way. Melinda, <laughs> on many different levels. <laughs> I don't, just, I don't believe it. Not just technological ideas for reasons, <laughs> but, uh, but that's okay. I'm, I'm a pretty strong person. So with that being said though, um, you know, I've had ideas that were, were way ahead of their time. And I've had investors tell me that like, Hey, we don't see how you could make this commercially viable. And that's okay. That happens. Mm-hmm. You look at you look at some of the great founders, though, and some of the great like technologies. Now, electricity is a little bit different. It actually got a pretty quick adoption rate, right? Because there was a lot of pain with going around and, and doing gas lanterns. And that just that was a really um, laborious task. So electricity actually got adopted fairly quickly. And it, you know, it revolutionized things. The radio got adopted fairly quickly. The car did not. It took it took almost 20 years to get to a million cars. It took 22 years to get to 4 million, right? So when you start thinking about Henry Ford, you know, if you listen to what he said, you know, some of the famous like quotes that he had and just to paraphrase, right? If I had asked customers what they wanted, they would have said give me a a better or faster horse, you know? And I would argue it was Give me a faster horse that doesn't poop and eat as much, right? Because it's like those are some of the components too. That's right? uh, fuel economy. That's that's fuel economy. That's, <laughs> For your horse. That's just, yeah. I mean, it, it's a number of things, right? And so that took such a long time uh, in this day and age, right, to get adoption. And I think you look at Tesla, he, ha- he invented stuff or came up with the ideas for things that have taken – a hundred years to get fully realized, you know, that is mind blowing. And then, you know, I I know you and I have both been to incubators and, and such MIT has a really famous one. And we were talking to some people in there and they focus on, you know, slow tech, right? Stuff that takes and is not economically viable for a really long time. You know, we had talked to people that were building cold fusion and fusion. And so their MVP is in 2035. Yeah. And that's why, obviously, an educational institution like MIT can afford to have that that investment play out that far into the future. Right. And then you look at some of the stuff that comes out of tech today, it's almost like our expectations are like the stock market. When we see the quarterly earnings of a company, we're expecting to see them like go up and go up and go up and go up. And when they don't, then we punish them heavily. Right. And so you look at some of these tech, you know, things 
if you're not coming out with an MVP in three to six months or, you know, and then you sign up a whole bunch of users and can show a VC a bunch of traction, there are very few of them that are like, hey, let's do this. And so, you know, I think of the stuff Nikolai Tesla was doing. There'd be very few VCs that would be like, hey, this is a great idea. Let's oh, absolutely. Go up to the mountains, go up to uh, the peaks of Colorado Springs and you mess around and let us know how the lightning you know, project is coming and, you know, you take your time, get back to us when you're ready. Like that doesn't happen. Well, and, and I think, you know, when you, when you see who he partnered with to get in his investment, it becomes very clear because the person who funded his Colorado Springs experiment was John Jacob Astor, the fourth. Excellent. So he had, he had a bit of cash that he could, could play with. So he thought he was investing in the new wireless lighting system. And and I would have agreed with Mr. Astor that that would be quite a promising thing to invest in around the turn of the century, you know, 1899, 1900-ish. Yeah. So he invested what today would be about $3 million. That's nothing. I mean, but, I mean, that's, but that's, a, that's, a, that's a solid seed round. Tesla got it. And he went up to Colorado Springs and he didn't use it on wireless lighting. He didn't use it on the thing that could have been commercially viable. Right? Yeah. He didn't have a business partner. Right. He didn't have that rigor around like, how are we going to make this thing fly so we can have some revenue to sustain the next thing? Right. Right? Let me ask. So I just kind of had a thought. If you were to make a fantasy uh, startup team. Who are the two co-founders you'd put on your fantasy fantasy startup team? Ben Franklin. Okay, why? Because he has mechanical and some electrical knowledge. Okay. And he was also a diplomat, so I don't think he would be a total nightmare to work with. I think our friend Tesla would have been a nightmare to work with. Okay. And I think that's probably why he never participated in like in society. Collabor- yeah, exactly. And, and like collaborative in, endeavors and didn't last at other companies very long. So and who else? Who else would you put on your dream team? Oh, my goodness. Historical figures. Sure. Versus future figures. Probably someone like, you know, um, J.P. Morgan, you know, he's got the deep pockets. So I have Ben Franklin and like J.P. Morgan. OK. And myself. I think well, you can't put yourself oh, on I can't. Oh, I thought this person, I thought they were going to be on my startup team. Oh, all right. Well, I was just saying if you could make a startup team. Oh, okay. So, but that's nice that you put thinking yourself I was on gonna, the team. I was going to work good. with these people. I'm like, this will be dreamy. We'll come up with something amazing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, your level of confidence is high this morning. So I'm going to go. So, okay. I, so I would, the dream team that I would love to see, and they would probably burn down burn down the world in a, in a weird way. I would actually say Nikola Tesla and Elon Musk. Oh my goodness. You know, because like Musk is like, has that Who, brain who's power. Who's going to be the referee in this situation? The world. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but you know, like I could totally see, I could totally see that going amazingly. I think if you had a benevolent, a-, a benevolent funder of this mad experiment that would ensue um and they could just do whatever they wanted to invent 
And basically any IP that came out of this, this fantastic thing could then be commercialized like in a different group with a different group of people. No, I disagree though. I think Elon Musk. He's got business sense. No, I, I, of course, of course. Okay. I think that he, he knows how to sell. He just sold 250,000 things and got people to put a deposit down on a truck that looked like Lego made it. Well, Tesla knew how to sell too. That's how he got all this funding. Yeah, he didn't though. Like not when it came to the public, right? And, Correct. And like, and like scale. Because he was way too early, right? I think. And so yeah, he was way too early. But like Elon Musk, Elon Musk says, "Hey, we're gonna build this like rocket ship," and people like laugh. And he's like, "No, no, I'm I'm serious. We're gonna build it. We're gonna build it like 13 minutes from now, and like 13 years from now, they're still working on it, and he still somehow keeps people engaged. They, I mean, the Model Y is the first time." And all of the things that he said that they were coming out with that actually was ahead of schedule or on schedule, right? So he has been able to, over num- numerous inventions and launches and iterations, to get people to stay really, really interested and keep forking over the money. And so, like, I think you combine that with Nikola Tesla and, like, just coming up with stuff from, like, 100 years out. Right. And those two guys, like, you know, you might have some SEC problems. You might have some like, you know, regulatory issues, but like <laughs> just a you, few HR you, issues you, with you, the fights that would happen. Yeah, no, they'll, they'll be <laughs> fine. They'll be fine. But like you pair them up with like a CFO, you keep that CFO like, you know, sort of put some guardrails around around them. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that person would probably. You yeah. Know. Guardrails. Yeah. OK. Yeah. That's so, cool. I think that's a that's a really cool startup team. I like well, this game. We yeah. should do this one more often. Maybe, yeah. It's, yeah. it's right up there with Leaders and Losers. It, I mean, I still like Leaders and Losers. So who's Leaders and Losers in this situation? Well, I'm going to give you a Leader Loser right now in the whole global economic okay. world. V- Verbo. Losers. No, no, no. Oh. What we're talking about. Like, oh, well, I, I still. Come back to me. Sorry, Verbo. <laughs> you guys are a bunch of losers. Okay, fine. <laughs> let's talk about, let's, yeah, let's talk about, uh corporate citizenship and stuff like that another another time yeah, that's a whole other podcast i think and so you know i think i think this was a great conversation let's um let's put a bow on it though you know and i think you know if there's more we can talk about we can uh, bring it into another episode if we want yeah i mean for me uh, you know it's fascinating what he was able to do and it's a really good study of you know, the different components you need to make make things successful or else you have just some really cool experiments in a lab and, you know, it, it just doesn't get out into the world to do things. So, yeah, I just, I, I think he's uh, super interesting. I do too. And this is why he is my inventor hero. <laughs> <laughs> a worthy inventor hero. Some people, uh, you know, follow Superman and modern Marvels and, or uh, Marvels and, not me, Tesla. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thanks for your time today. This was a good conversation. Thanks. Talk to you later. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is sponsored by Uprise Partners. Uprise launches startups and evolves established companies. Check it out at www.uprisepartners.com. Please like, subscribe, and share. And we'd love to hear from you. Give us a shout if you have a great idea that you want us to include. Just email us at hello at datamyths.com. 
Catch you next time.